Hello and welcome to Design Untangle with me, Chris Mears and Carla Lindarte. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you, Chris? Yeah, I'm all right. I've got very bad hay fever at the minute. Oh, me too. I've had like hay fever all day. I've realized that there's no point of wearing any makeup um, during spring because every time I wear makeup, I start itching my eyes and then I look like a like a bear, like a panda bear. With... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The other day I was doing a presentation in front of a lot of people and my manager stopped me. I was like, "What? what's going on? And she's like, oh, your makeup is all over your face. I was like, oh, God. So yeah, embarrassing. I tried to cut down on the makeup as well. <laughs> yeah, just... you should. You should. I'm naturally beautiful, so I don't need it. Oh, you're so lucky. I mean, after you turn... I would say 28, I I can't go out, I get out of the house without makeup. I'll be like scaring a lot of people, I guess. All right, um, let's talk about some UX things rather than our weird personal lives. Uh, so <laughs> today we're talking about interviews and that is not job interviews this time around. We're going to dig in a bit more to research interviews and their various types, uh, various techniques and tips that you can employ along the way. Um, probably a few anecdotes, I'd imagine, as well from both of us. Yeah, I mean, interviewing is very important. I mean, um, as UX designers and also as a kind of design professionals as a whole, like it's really important to be a good interviewer, um, to be a person who can listen, especially listen to the people they're talking to, um, being able to observe um, as well as being able to ask the right questions. So it's really, really important for our profession to have very good interviewing skills. Yep. And there's various different types of skills and techniques you'll use depending on what the type of the interview is. So if it's an interview in the lab, you need a certain frame of mind, you need certain techniques. If you're doing contextual research and you're sort of interviewing people a bit more ad hoc potentially whilst they're doing their jobs the kind of lab-based approach is not necessarily going to work and equally if you're out on the streets doing guerrilla testing that's going to involve a very different style as well yeah exactly i mean it also when you are interviewing people remotely uh when you're using like skype or anything like or something like that to interview people or phone interviews as well um, they all require uh, different techniques and tips that you should follow. But at the end of the day, I mean, a good interviewer has certain characteristics. For me, a good interviewer has to be a good listener. Um, it also should have not judgment. And what I mean with that is that it shouldn't really have an opinion or trying to push one direction um, rather than the other. So no, don't try to avoid having biases on, you know, whatever you're interviewing the person about. Um, they also should be able to ask open-ended questions. And what I mean with that is questions that are not necessarily um, an answer as a yes or no. Yep. So things like, you know, uh, do you remember the last time you did this? Can you describe that moment for me? Or, you know, try to op uh, ask questions in an open way so people um, can talk about what's going on rather than yes or no. Um, and also, I also allow yourself enough time to think and process the information that you are 
um, listening to during the interview. So I know that we always have these awkward, silent moments, but sometimes it's actually important to have those silent moments during the interview as well. So you are processing, you're listening to what the person is saying and you be you are able to ask the following questions. Um, so don't worry about, the, about that. Yeah, I'd say as well as being thinking time, those silent points are a technique in themselves. So often if you just sit there without saying anything, it's a prompt for the other person to kind of expand their thinking a little bit more. I know it's a technique that sales use. They throw their figure out there and then they just don't speak until the client either says yes or no or whatever. It's a pretty classic sales technique. Um, But as well in the the interview session you can use that as a way of just making people expand on their thoughts if you don't think you've Mm -hmm. really kind of got the full picture from their first answer yeah exactly I mean that is exactly right and also like don't be afraid of ask for asking for clarification or um, examples so sometimes you feel like oh I I didn't really understand what this person said but I'm just going to like keep going so they don't think I don't know what they're talking about. It's actually a good thing if you say, can you clarify that for me, please? Or can you just say that again? Or can you give me examples of what you mean? Or, you know, it's okay to, to do that because you have to have a clear picture of, you know, what that person's trying to tell you. And if you have any doubts, just don't be afraid of, of asking and going deeper. Yeah, the bias one is interesting as well because that's, probably the biggest sort of gotcha if you are in the position where you're a UX designer testing your own stuff. So the temptation is always to explain to someone how something's meant to work if they're not getting it or say, oh no, actually, if you just do this, this happens and then they'll be like, oh, that's cool. And you're like, yeah, my design's awesome. So that's definitely something to watch out for. And I think If you are in that situation, which isn't ideal, just definitely take on the advice of listening rather than speaking. Just observe what people do. If they don't get something, just note it down. Don't comment on it. Move on to the next tasks. It's so easy to give them signals, even if you're not aware that you're doing so. You know, a little point on a screen or a UI or whatever, that can be enough to throw off the whole usability test. Yeah, I mean, it, it, that happens really, really often when you have a prototype that potentially is not fully functional. So people might try to do certain tasks on your prototype, but that button hasn't been activated or, you know, um, it doesn't have any, any, any uh, you know, animation in it. So I've seen that happening a lot of times in, in user testing sessions. You have a prototype that is not fully functional. But, I mean, you can allow the user to try and complete the task without you probing too much and just, you know, helping them to do that. Um, however, if then they're getting stuck because the prototype is not fully functional, then you can jump in and help them out a little bit. But the idea of it, of, of it is just that you make sure you're observing their behavior while they're tapping on or, you know, clicking on if it's a if it's a website. But um, yeah, just that happens a lot when the prototype doesn't work. Yeah, and you should be using the think aloud technique where possible. So if mm. people are going through a set of screens you want them to be kind of speaking through what they're seeing on that screen what they think of the contents you know where where they're looking even just their first impressions when that 
they first get seen that page? Do they have a sense of what's going on? Where do they think they can go next? Where do they think they've come from? All these sort of things. And it will depend on the participant how good they are at that. Some it just comes quite naturally and you don't really have to do much, but others will just sit there in silence, clicking away or tapping away. And they will need a bit of prompting every now and then. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's the, the different personalities. Um, I don't know about you, Chris, but sometimes you interview people who you know, especially if you recruit them and in in a lab environment that you know they're just there for the money. Yeah. Um. So those ones are like trying to get to through the test as quickly as possible, trying to just tell you what you th- they think you want to hear. Um, and just get out of, you know, get, get out of the place, you know, with the minimum effort and getting the money. Um, there's also people who have seen, you, you as very obvious, have been on several user testing sessions yeah. in the past. So they start using words like carousel or, you know, oh, I like the drop down, or, you know, like they're very... <laughs> kind of really into it um which also you need to be careful with the kind of uh, feedback you get from these people and try to you know um go, like focus on the task that you're asking them to do rather than you know listening too much about this all these opinions that they have about the design that you're putting together yeah we definitely had some serial research participants while we we're in government because you know it's 50 or more quid for an hour's work. It's a viable Mm. sort of income stream almost. And when you do recognize those people coming to several sessions, sometimes we did just end the session and turn them away because it's not gonna give you valid results. Really, they're just, yeah, like you say, saying what you want to hear. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's also like a good tip for that is um, if you have a recruitment agency doing the recruitment for you, um, talk to them and obviously get feedback specifically about that participant that you didn't think it was either good enough or it was just there for the money. And also try to recruit, I would always try to recruit a couple of people more per day. So if you're trying to interview about six people a day, I try to do, you know, eight or something. So um, obviously you count for no shows, which always happen. And also if you have a very, very bad participant, then you can have an extra one just to kind of uh, balance it out um and yes yeah, so just try to always aim for rec- recruiting more participants that you need yeah you've always got to have a couple of floaters in the bag because <laughs> yeah. they're pretty unfortunately <laughs> named um but sometimes if you get bad weather or whatever it you know you can get a lot higher no shows than you'd be used to so if you've got a few floaters who are basically paid to hang around in case you need them it means that you'll get your sessions for the day, which is very useful. Um, another thing that you should be aware of that we've experienced recently on some of our projects is if you're doing the research in the kind of company's HQ and they are customers of your company, you'll either get one of two scenarios we discovered. So they'll either suck up to you and say, you know, your company is great and this product is great, depending how they view or the session will just turn into a big bitching session. Um, (laughs) So there's really only two ways you can deal with that. So the first is to present yourself as an external 
consultant, you know, reiterate mm-hmm. that they're not your designs. And if you're lucky enough to be a contractor, you can legitimately say, I don't work for them. Um, and then the other one would be to look into maybe doing it in a space outside of that HQ because it can taint some of the feedback you've been given, I find. That is true. That uh, That is actually very, very true. Yeah. I mean, also... You need to bear in mind that, um, and just talking about, you know, jargon and words and the type of questions that you use, um, because we are in design and you are the one doing the research and perhaps your team are, um, you know, the same people doing the design are doing their research. Uh, sometimes you get too attached to the designs that you're putting together, like put in front of users that um, then you start using the jargon either, um, you know, related to the company itself, um, you know, like acronyms or things like that, or um, using like technical words. I remember once I was like uh, running this research for a retail um, client and one of the UX designers on my team, she was like interviewing this lady, like 45 year old lady. And it, she put in front of her like, a prototype and saying to her like, oh, look, so you're looking at a responsive site. And the lady was like looking at her like, what do you actually like what are you actually telling me <laughs> she didn't understand what do you mean we're responsive and I said well this is a responsive side I'm like well what, what does that actually mean and then you know they kind of wasted 10 minutes or 15 minutes for this girl trying to explain to the lady what a responsive side was so yeah. we just completely waste of time so um, just be careful with those terminology because the terminology you use because people get confused and then you just waste time during the interview Yeah, so let's talk quickly about the different, I suppose, styles of conversation you would have depending on what type of research is. So I think we've mostly been talking about lab-based stuff at the moment in terms Mm of silence and things like that. But if you're on the street trying to get some guerrilla feedback, if you go up to someone and then just don't talk for five minutes, it's going to get awkward very quickly. So... (laughs) We spoke about it before in our... Did we do a guerrilla testing episode? We did, didn't we? I think we did, yeah. And then I did this um, webinar as well. Yeah, well, we've racked up so many, I can't even remember what we've done now. Um, but anyway, <laughs> in that scenario, you're really looking to identify what your primary research questions are and focusing on them. In the lab, you've got a bit more time to expand and explore the wider problem space, but guerrilla testing, your time is likely to be short, so you need to be very focused. Uh, use the same techniques as we spoke about to keep people on track if they're... Oh, actually, we haven't actually spoke about any of those techniques. Mate, let's rewind then. So let's say you've got a participant who's waffling away, not sticking to the point, sort of like me at the minute. Um, <laughs> <laughs> how can you get them to talk about the thing you actually want them to talk about instead of just what their daughter did that day that's a question for you yeah (laughs) oh oh god um I mean I I tend to try and um if that's happening I try to without interrupting too much I try to bring them back into the question that I ask or the task that I've asked them to do. Um, just kind of reiterate the question. So it, it kind of is obvious that they haven't answered it yet um, or saying, oh, that's really interesting, but let's just 
focus on this for now. Try to refocus the interview to the point where you left, you know, the, your discussion guide. Yep. So that's why it's really important to have a discussion guide because it gives you a structure of the key things that you need to get out of that interview. Obviously, the, you always need to allow time, allow time for to, to people to talk about all the things, random things, but... The more you can, um, without being rude, obviously, stop them and say and try to refocus that back into the last question that you thought they answered. Um, uh, I think that's that's one of the things I, I would do if that's happening. Yeah, I think the that's very interesting. And then sometimes literally say, right, let's move on now, just so they yes. know kind of you're done listening to that particular bit of spiel and it's time to get refocused. Because remember, you are paying them some decent money to be there and you need to get that value out of them so it's not unreasonable to keep them focused on the task at hand yeah that might be different when you're doing guerrilla right because you're kind of asking people for a favor yep, or for a small true. incentive to help you out so in that case but again um you know doing things like okay oh that's very interesting but can you please tell me about this you know like just going back into your discussion guide or the key questions that you're trying to ask um, and just listen, yes, but also make sure you get what you need from the interview. Yeah, I think it's a point that keeps coming on this podcast. We've had a lot of questions in the Slack recently. Plug, 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 uxmentor.me. Um, asking about, you know, should I use this research technique for this or should I use it? For that, you really have to go back to what your research goals are and then identify the best type of research to help you achieve that. Um, so don't, it's kind of the same as the tools discussion, right? Should I use Xure or should I use whatever? It's going back to what tool, in this case, research technique is going to help you answer the research questions you have most effectively. And you'll need to bear in mind all these different kinds of interviews and conversations you'll have in each of those different techniques and then choose the one that's most that's going to give you most value basically yeah exactly i mean in-depth interviews or contextual into interviews or ethnographic interviews which basically means interviewing people without within the context or contextual inquiries they call as well um they normally relate to the kind of a generative phase of the research uh life cycle so it means you're going deeper into people's needs and their environments and where they are and how they behave and what their needs are to be able to generate ideas of potential solutions um the other types of interviews like lab based interviews when you're testing something but also wants to want to get some qualitative insight into you know what people think about the solution you're prototyping they're more like evaluative um you go more in the evaluative phase of the research life cycle so you're evaluating whether or not the the ideas that you put in together are good enough so but interviews are, that's why i think import is very important that a ux designer or, re or researcher or both um are very good at interviewing people because they would know exactly why they use an interview technique for you know whatever they they want to um, research and find out and also what's the best way of approaching that interview um, and also what's the best you know uh, material that they need to use for the interview as well where the location 
competition is going to be, etc., etc. So it all goes back, as you said, to the final goal of the research that you're trying to do. Mm-hmm. Now, what are your thoughts on taking notes during an interview? Personally, when I do particularly lab-based stuff, I don't like to be sat there writing notes while I'm talking to people. I know other people have different preferences, but I find it puts up a little bit of a barrier to the conversation. And I've noticed them basically watching me write the notes when I have done it. And so you can see their mind ticking over, why is he writing that down? And it kind of throws the whole thing off track. So do you ever yeah. do you ever take notes yourself? No, not really. I mean, ideally, um, when you do an interviews, whatever context, you should have an interviewer and you should have a note taker. Um, and the reason for that is that um, as an interviewer, you need to concentrate on listening to what your per- the person you're interviewing is saying to you. And you need to make sure that you're capturing um, the right insight into, you know, with the, with the questions that you're um, asking. And also like, you know, making sure that you keep, um, you know, the interview on track to what you're trying to achieve. Um, the note taker is not just a note taker. It's not just a, a whatever person who is available to come with me and take notes. And actually, sometimes you should like swap roles as well. Is someone who can listen as well, but also observe people's reactions yeah. and making sure that they annotate um, you know, the the right, when they find a very nice quote or something that's going to add value into their research, actually, you know, highlight it into the notes, make sure they follow the structure that you've put together for your notes as well. So I think you always have to have two as a minimum. Sometimes people have three people uh, because then if you have a camera and you're recording and things like that, then you need an extra person to help out. But two people as a minimum. And then sometimes you swap um, your roles, um, you know, so so you get a more balanced view of what, you know, the research is, 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 is happening. You know, the research is happening. Yeah, just in terms of spotting interesting quotes and stuff, having that note taker says a little... Uh, tip I guess is they can write down the actual time that those quotes Mm -hmm. happen so when you're looking to play back stuff to stakeholders afterwards you don't have to scour through hours of video just going oh when did that person say that thing that was interesting you've got it right there you can jump there and it saves so much time yeah exactly that's just so useful especially if you uh, have a particular framework that you put together before you started the interview so if you like let's say want to focus on pain points about the checkout process and you find something really good that you know people are talking about for example so um and then you having that quote um you know um um you know in in your notes is is really valuable and it's going to save you a lot of time yeah uh what else did we want to cover is that it um, I guess so. I think, um, as I said before, I think uh, interviewing, um, the more you do, the more you interview, the better you get at that. Um, um, you know, it's, it's something that you have to get out, out there and do and learn from it and, you know, make mistakes and get better every time. There's also something that we didn't mention is like stakeholder interviews, which oh, are yeah. different to customers or user interviews. They're very, very, very important. Sometimes we kind of 
you know don't pay much attention to that but it's actually very important to you know have a list of stakeholder a stakeholder map just make sure who are your key stakeholders and not necessarily your clients directly if you're working in an agency or in a consulting environment but also like um you know who else is involved in that particular process service or product that you're looking at um and make sure you go and talk to these people listen to them and apply similar techniques that we just talked about and also gather that insight as a separate type of insight so then when you present them back your findings of their research you have um the kind of uh you know stakeholder view like the company organization view as well as the customer view which are both um you know equally important yeah and i think the other thing to say around that is it's a way of keeping your stakeholders engaged in the design process as well yes. so you're understanding their needs from the business point of view likely they're people who have kind of sponsored the actual project itself you want to keep them i guess help them understand how you're tackling the problem by using almost the same techniques on them and leave them coming away feeling like you've really understood what they were about and what they were trying to achieve that helps build confidence in the overall design process yeah definitely that is really really important um another thing that we forgot to mention what i forgot to mention about interviewing as a whole is the importance of debriefing um so once you do an interview ideally you're a couple like two people doing the interview um and sometimes you have multiple people doing interviews at the same time you know if the project that you're doing is quite big so um the research team or people doing the interviewing it's really important they have some time to debrief especially after um each interview yeah. um in, and that's why when you schedule your um, interview day, for example, when in one day you want to cover like four, six people, whatever, you need to have some like time in between interviews because it helps you debrief as a team. So get together and agree whether or not where what you know where what where the more interesting insights that you you kind of heard or observations that you made, um, and then it helps you start framing your insights into some kind of framework. Um, so that is really, really important debriefing and just having a framework or a structure for that debrief is also really important. Yeah, sounds like a plane's about to land on your house. Yeah, I don't know why on Sundays I have more planes uh, going through my house. <laughs> <laughs> All right, right. Um, I think that's probably it for interviews. Uh, if you're on that plane, welcome back home. Um, and I've got more good news in that I don't have to bother doing the plugs anymore because I paid yeah. someone to do it for me. All right, so we will see you in a couple of weeks. See you later. Okay, thank you, bye. Search and subscribe to Design Untangled using your favorite podcast app and leave us a review. Follow us on the web at designuntangled.co.uk or on Twitter at designuntangled. Become a better designer with online mentoring at uxmentor.me.